Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash wordinyourear or just by liking or subscribing in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. One of the things that people were corresponding about on the website was uh, people who were only ever associated with one record. It's quite interesting, this, mm. actually. Because yeah. we were talking about with Trevor Down a couple of weeks ago, the, you know, the, the, the business, the way that music radio is programmed, and you know, it's all put on computers. Yeah, yeah. And, and somebody said that they were listening to, <laughs> don't laugh, Carol Decker from Tapau. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on some local radio station. And at the end, they said, well, Carol, what, what record would you like to hear, you know, from T'Pau? And she, she nominated something that said, no, we haven't got that. There's yeah. China in your head. This is all that we're talking about. Red Eric that- famously says, whenever he goes on, you know, 40-year career, 30-year career, Whenever he goes on a radio station, it's always whole wide world. Yeah. Well, yeah, but what yeah. else is it going to be? You know, I mean, well, I don't know. Eric had a few classics, actually. four signals. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Somebody must have put those together. In, in, the, in the great scheme of things, if you're got, if you're doing a, a thing about Reckless Eric, and you're on, you know, Radio Cornwall, is it Radio Cornwall? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then it's going to be a whole wide world, isn't it? So, what was the, that song he did about uh, being in the back seat of a car and he's it is plastic matty Packamac. Uh, that was Reconnaissery. Reconnaissery. <laughs> well, of course, no DJ would ever possibly introduce that. No. It's got a French title. It sounds like they're being a, like they're being a bit nonsense. I yeah. once interviewed Reckless Eric in his flat, which was just off Oxford Street, round the back of um, what was the Virgin Megastore. What do they call mm. that little road that nips around the back there? Hanway anyway, Street. Hanway Street. Mm. And, and I think he lived on the second floor in a very, very basic... You know, P.A. d'Atterre. Yeah. His flat in town was not, you know, not, you know, spoilt by anything like uh, by, like carpets or curtains or anything like that. His bolt hole. Bolt no, hole. P.A. d'Atterre is right for somebody who recorded a song called Reconnaissance. That's true. It actually, works. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Eric only had one item of furniture in the place. 
And you've got to tell me I know the answer what to it was. It must have been an ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> Evidence of a casual lifestyle. No, I bet it wasn't. I bet <laughs> so it wasn't you're going to invest in one item of furniture. What's it to be? Well, it's not going to be a bed. Actually, oh, there a... probably was a bed in another room. Okay, to be fair, there was a bed in another room. Electric like toaster. <laughs> was there two furniture. bar, two bar <laughs> fire that he could light his roll ups on? I've read his book, and I can't, I'm, not, I'm not sure his message, but I'm going to go for it. some kind of some form of uh, hostess troll. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you what it was. I'll tell you what it was. He had a three seater garden swing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of those things. Yeah, that's that, brilliant. You'd have it in a garden with the kind of canopy over yeah, the yeah. top of it, you know, sorry, with a fringe on top. Yeah. You know, and three cushions in it, and you sit there next to Eric, tempted to interview him, swinging back and forth. You know, in this, this tiny little flat. I went on the road with Eric. Go on. Did you? Did you go on the road? With I him? must have gone on the road with Eric. Uh, but, I can remember Eric was a massive boozer, and this is no mm, secret. Yeah. Really. No, <laughs> if, you, if you read his book, yeah, I've got to say I'm a big Eric fan. Yeah, uh, it's called A Dysfunctional Success, and it's about it's supposed to be a good book. Isn't it? It's a really meant good to be book. very good. Mm. It doesn't. Doesn't yeah, it's not very friendly to most of the people involved in Stiff, except for Eric Enduring. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, he's he, a massive fan of the sauce. Yeah. He was chewing down a bottle of brown ale at eleven o'clock in the morning and moving on to the slightly harder stuff like double diamond at yeah. lunchtime. And all <laughs> I can remember is that the, uh, the with this, it was squeezed. I think Enduring various blockheads and stuff. The big thing was to make Eric go to bed because he had to go to bed and stop drinking. And he was eventually just shoved into a, you know, like get the octopus back in the paper bag. He was shoved into a lift. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, and somebody took him upstairs and put him to bed about four o'clock in the morning. And we all went back to the bar to carry on sticking down the old pot. <laughs> and about two minutes later, I remember the lift doors burst open. And I came out frantically like this, half undressed. He'd obviously got half yeah. undressed. And they said, I said, what are you doing? He said, I realised I hadn't done the job properly. <laughs> he got back to have another couple of fights. Thought he'd slept for a, you know, yeah. eight hours. Felt well, thoroughly refreshed. It's fantastic. So this is the word podcast. I'm David Hepworth, and I'm joined in the pod this week by Mark Ellen and Rob Fitzpatrick. And we're in the huge headphones over there in the corner. Matt Hall. Matt Hall. <laughs> we may have to come towards the microphone at some point. Uh, Mark Ellen, um, at the, this pinch from uh, Morrissey website, okay? Oh, yes. I'm a huge Smiths fan and an ex-Morrissey fan. Oh, controversial. I found the concert, it's been playing this week. The worst Morrissey gig I've ever been to. I think he thought the gig was bad too. I find him irrelevant and a caricature of himself. Ooh. He's not a teenager anymore. He's very <laughs> arrogant. And I was not happy that he... Not happy, love that. Not happy? He's <laughs> like, this is a teacher, this isn't is, it? Yeah, I'm spoken stuff. I, know, I think I know who wrote this letter. Is it Morrissey's mum? <laughs> no, I was going to say, lots of love, Morrissey's manager. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy that he played National Front Disco. Oh, yeah. But imagine controversial. Might be controversial. Yeah, in these uh, current times. The new song's a pub-rocky, overall bad gig, borderline dreadful, and he seems completely past his selling date. What do you think? You went? Well, I did go. I went on Monday night, actually. And I would say that I, I disagree with that. But there were various factors. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Glass think, half full. <laughs> yes, Mr. Glass <laughs> half full. I, there were various factors that I think people did remark upon. In fact, the person I went with, Caroline Grimshaw, um, words uh, uh, art uh, person and designer, um, who I was sitting next to, uh, Morrissey came on stage and... There was a thirty-second pause while people kind of drank in the mystery and majesty mm. of the sight of Morrissey after all this time, punctuated by Grimshaw, the Grim, saying, "I thought rather too loudly. Someone's put on a right load of old suet." <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, Morrissey, to be fair, has had a good Christmas day. I think he's, <laughs> yeah. I think he's, 
Yeah. I think the Stilton stocks have been reduced. <laughs> Possibly some of the port as well. Mm. And biscuits. But not the cake. Surely with Morris's diet, it's impossible no. to put on. I, I don't know. He's, I mean, he cuts a statuesque figure. I'm not saying by any means he's porky. But the thing that worried me, which was the issue I was going to address, actually, the key burning issue for me, is that if anybody listening has seen Morrissey, even back in the days of Smith, I think one of the key things that always happened at the very end was, Rob... Uh, did he take his shirt he off? D- he took his shirt yeah. off. So I'm starting to think. Quite becoming no disrespect to the old boy. Mm. I'm a very fair character, as you know, and I thought it was a tremendous concert, and I take issue with the old person writing in there. But I was very worried about the shirt. And mm. throughout the concert, various items of clothing start to come off. Obviously, oh, the, yeah. Well, I think it was a, a tie with Billy Fury on it, or somebody like that, anyway. Behind him was Richard Burton, you know. And then he starts to sort of stick bits of material in his pocket, which hang out, reminding of the old days, you know. And he starts to look more and more dishevelled, and enormous patches of perspiration start oh, to appear. And you think, please, don't do that. But he came on at the end, off came the shirt. Oh, seriously? Off came the shirt. And he was only on stage for 30 seconds. At the end, off it came. And he went mm. on. Now, again, I, I'm not being unfair, but, you know, he's not Sting, Dave. Was there... Well, Sting takes <laughs> his shirt off. You know that he spent several weeks in a trimnasium. Was there what... Uh, <laughs> wife would call overhang. Yeah. So it was a little bit Excuse of overhang, me. yes. Is your wife used that question towards you, Rob? I'm not saying me personally. Is, she, well, well, she never feels that she saw the moss because yeah. there was a certain amount of overhang yeah. in metric tons. No, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. It was a man built but, in but the But it was just the reaction was, was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd, get his, he'd get his money's worth from an I speak your weight machine, etc. <laughs> no, but it was interesting, the reaction, because in our row, I would say about 75% of us were heterosexual and... Mm. Uh, no, 25% and 75% homosexual. Mm. And the gay contingent. Well, there are gay women. seats. The gay seats. Yeah. We were in a segregation area. That's right. And the, it's like the, the singing the... section of Wembley. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. There was the smoking, non smoking, heterosexual, non heterosexual. Exactly. And the, uh, yeah, the gay men and women leapt their feet shrieking and yelling with delight. And uh, the Grimm and I, but to be honest, who are heterosexual, uh, couldn't didn't know what to make of it, really. No. Thought it was probably a mistake. Thought if I'd been his manager, I would have advised him not to do it. Right. Mm. But there we are. So, gentlemen pop stars over a certain age shouldn't take the shirt off, really, apart from Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Iggy yeah. Pop can take the String. Shirt off. Anytime. <laughs> Strings um, yeah. Bruce Springsteen haven't done it in a long time. Jagger gets. Does meet Jagger gets? He strips down to the vest. He wears he? a vest, a singlet. Yeah. He goes singlet. down to a singlet. Yeah. yeah. Although that, I've, there's a bit too much flesh on show there, really. I've there? heard that he didn't he follow some sort of absurd diet routine, so his trousers never go above a 28 waist. Which I mean, obviously, I'm only a 28, maybe tw- <laughs> 26 on a good day. But uh, <laughs> I was never low teens. Did you read did. that thing? Thank uh, God there's a webcam here. Right. <laughs> oh, we we get one of those. And you oh, we, we won't be able to keep do this you, fiction up any longer. Do you read that thing about Mick Jagger when they were going on tour a few years ago? He, uh, Rolling uh, not Rolling Stone, The New Yorker did a fascinating interview with him and his tailor. Mm. About, oh, the about the design of, of trousers. No, the material, the stretch fabric, Dave. Well, that that Mick yeah. Jagger was really specific about what he wears on stage, not just because he wants to look fabulous, mm. which he no doubt thinks he does, um, <laughs> but because he wanted, you know, like a like a ballet dancer or a, or a gymnast or whatever. It had to be the specific kind of thing that allowed him to. Uh, 
you know, I like run a around bit like a stretch, Dave. Yeah, a little bit of give. And so, you know, <laughs> Taylor would run things up, and then yeah. he'd go and try them on the rehearsal stage. He he'd run about in them for three hours, and then he'd go back and say, "No, that's France." Not good but it, yeah, yeah. Well, the point is, they've got to be able to sustain uh, balletic leaps and gymnastic <laughs> twists. Does, something. Yeah. Does Keith ever do that of his own Taylor? Do you think? <laughs> I don't think Keith is aware of the fact that he's wearing clothes. No. I think they just lowered onto him. <laughs> <as he faces. laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe like a sort of medieval child, you know, in 1966, he got sown into a load and he's still sort of in them. Because <laughs> he's never changed them. No, not really. He's probably just dipped in chemicals once a month, you know, done, dry cleaning fluid. Have I done? Have we done a podcast since I went to Posh Restaurant in the West End and saw Rock and Roll? No, Dave, oh, we see, this is no. good. I went, to, I went to the Woolsey, very posh showbiz restaurant in, in Piccadilly, and, and I'm pleased to announce there were two proper stars in the Woolsey. You're always going to find stars, but usually the kind of stars that you have to introduce to people by saying, you know, it was the bloke who used to be you know, yeah. married to... Was it Paxo? Quacking on about Marks and Spencer's underpants. Which, is, uh, which <laughs> we could talk yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, but the two uh, celebrities were Jeremy Irons, who I'm saying is very famous. That's high grade. Ironsy. Ironsy. And, yeah. and the other one was Charlie Watts. Uh, Charlie Watts. I mean, Charlie Watts, you felt like just applauding. You've had your money's worth before the white baits have been turned up. You've food at all. Uh, you, yeah. you don't feel yeah. like, oh, I'll, I'll sign the bill right now. Yeah. You know, oh, I've yeah. seen Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts is the man who we were talking when we were talking about the Rolling Stones behind the scenes. Um, DVD recently is the man who goes on st- goes on tour with his own portable sock drawer, doesn't he? Fantastic. Good man. They weren't at the same table, were they? Uh, Ironsy and Watson, no. They were both sur- separately surrounded by adoring women. I, I bet they did the old wink, didn't they? Old... <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm yeah. famous too. Six yeah, year I'm, old... I'm with six girls and you're only with five, yeah. Ironsy. Yeah. So, you know, pull <laughs> yeah. the old socks up. So blokes in their 60s surrounded by adoring women, you know. May it, uh, may it to rule. A magazine, a website, a podcast, The Word. Now, one of the things that they've been talking about on The Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, is in the light of the fact that that the the junior generation of kind of folksy troubadours, and here I'm thinking about people like Katie Tunstall and Beth Rowley and Mm. people like that, people that Rob likes and introduces to us to, um, they always say the same thing. They always say... When you, you talk about the first inspiration, they say, I got it from my mum and dad's record collection. Hmm. They all say, you know, mum mum and dad were big Joni Mitchell fans, yeah. or Aretha Franklin fans, or Nick Drake fans. You know, they're always impeccably hip. Yeah. yeah? They loved Can. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> loved That's Can. That's right, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that there are people out there on the website who don't believe this, but mm. they're saying this bears no relation to the life that they knew no. themselves, you know. So I thought it would be interesting to whiz round on memories of what, oh, if any, mm. music your, uh, Mark, your parents had. I, I know, I can start with this. You know, that's a generational thing because clearly, you know, you now get two generations of dads and sons or whatever, both mm. liking Oasis or whatever. Yeah. That clearly didn't happen in the very late 1950s and early 1960s because my household which was run by my parents. I said, I have three elder sisters, right, the youngest. Uh, had a radiogram by the crackling coal fire. A radiogram. A radiogram. And my father... There's probably had, people out there who don't know what a radiogram is. Well, a, radio, a radiogram was just an old, real funny old analogue machine, wasn't it, inside a, a walnut cabinet. Yes. And you pressed a button. Very often it had drinks as well. It had yeah. drinks. <laughs> it had, oh, yeah. It had a huge... Radio. <laughs> exactly. But, but not Mark's dad, if I No, know. not mine. No, no, no. It doesn't happen in the Anglican church. Really. <laughs> but uh, it had a huge uh, dial which magically lit up 
uh, luminous mm. green. Did it have the name? You of... could roll down. Yeah, yeah. Luxembourg. Yeah, Hilversum. 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 That's yeah. incredibly short. Which? Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Do you know there's a, there's a wonderful Van Morrison thing called? Is it, it's called in the days before rock and roll? Oh, when he goes on and he recites what was on the radio dial when he was growing up. It's like the equivalent of the shipping forecast. Yeah. Anyway, and as a kid, I would sit there and tune into these places and hear the static and hear these voices mm. coming, off, often in foreign languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, but he invented this fantastic fiction, as he did about television. He decided that we shouldn't have television because it would rot our brains. Or oh, that's quite a good point, actually. God bless the old boy. I think he made a course and violence. wise words from the old man. But uh, he, until he read a, an article in a, in a newspaper in 1966, which told, told him it was the window on the world, which, of course, was a brilliant piece of marketing by yeah. some, you know, Philips or something to sell television sets. So he came home with one under his arm. But his thing about record players was that you, could, you couldn't play. And very long arms. Yes, yeah, arms are very, very small television. But uh, no, he, he didn't want and he was to play our pop records with his record player so his way of doing it was to say, <laughs> was to say that, that it damaged the stylus you see. <laughs> Yeah. And I, of course, had to accept this because what did I know? Yeah. You know, I was only seven or so. Well, you know, obviously, mm. I got a copy of the new Baron Knight's EP. Why couldn't I play? Because I didn't want to damage the silence because he's got his Deutsche Gramophone records he wants to play later on. Uh, Herbert von Karajan, you know, conducting some pompous play thing. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd said that to him. That would have gone down well. But anyway, I can remember, I remember the key breakthrough was that in 1970, uh, Pink Floyd made a record called Atom Heart Mother mm. uh, on the cover, which was a big cow. Do you remember that? Mm. And on it was an orchestra who uh, I remember looking at the credits, I think, and found out it was the Abbey Road Session Pops Orchestra. <laughs> uh, but my father didn't know that. I told him it was, you know, the Berlin <laughs> Philharmonic or something, because it was basically an orchestra. And the Abbey Road Session, what a brilliant name. And they'd obviously just been recording orchestral versions of Michel, My Bell by Paul McCartney to be played in supermarkets or lifts or something. Mm. And at that point was the big breakthrough. I said, Dad, look, it's like, it's like Holst the Planets. You know, it's, it's got an orchestra on it. And I made him listen to, to Atom Heart Mother, which is one of the most miserable entertainment incidents of my life, actually. But I said, yeah, we're going to play this on the radiogram. You could have played him, you know. Because I want to prove to you, Dad, that we're going to play this and that the radiogram, in inverted commas, will not just, you know, spontaneously combust because it's got an orchestra on it. And that was the big breakthrough. But no, we didn't have any of that stuff that we could possibly have uh, listened to or would have influenced us at all. What about you, Rob? Well, my parents didn't have... Uh, they had a, a record player, but there wasn't very many records they had there. I don't, I don't, music wasn't a, sort of a huge thing for them, really. I think they had listened to... They, they did, in the kitchen, they did have one of those huge old uh, radios with Hilversum and all that, which would be tuned into Radio 2, usually. But I remember the, the two records they had that I played all the time, because they were the only two records I can remember finding in the house, were The Spinners, Keyside Songs. Amazing. Now we're here. We're talking about the spinners, not the Detroit. No, spinners. no, no. no we're, talking, we're, we're talking about chaps in Stout Knitwear. Stout Came from Liverpool. Yeah, the spinners and uh, Songs of Swinging Lovers, which was the other one, which I think must have come out just when they got married, and uh, and so that was it. So I just used to play those two over and over and over and over and over and over again. But the thing about what Mark said about damaging the stylus, I think that sort of leapt on a generation to. Um, when we got remote control for TV, because then was, my mum would always tell us off for using remote control, saying you're going to break it. Uh, <laughs> anything like that. Oh, yeah. Anything that you use, just on a date, just you use it and that will break it. Just yeah. using it will break it, even looking at it. Like if you get CFAX, changing the number too fast on CFAX, break it. Well, no, you're, you're not yeah, old enough to remember wrong. this, but, but, but you know, in telephones was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, you made yeah, a telephone yeah. call in the yeah. 1960s, your parents put their head around the door and said, What are you doing? I'm going to make a telephone call. Well, don't do that. <laughs> well, it's too expensive. Well, why are we going to make a telephone call? Yeah. 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 This is pointless. Uh, completely 
self-defeating argument. Yeah. So you'd always have to say, don't worry, they rang me. And yeah. then you could carry on talking for hours and hours and hours because yeah. they wouldn't realise, in fact, it was an outgoing call. Till the old Bill came in. Till the old Bill oh, came in. Well, we literally didn't have a record player. Uh, Dave, I hear the sound of the wheels. I hear violin playing in the background. <laughs> Were you born in a shoebox? Uh, uh, rolled up newspaper <laughs> in the middle of the street. Um, and uh, it was only when, when, I, when I think my sister... When it was older than me, went away on a French exchange. Hello. And in those days, when people people bought records when they went, went on holiday, mm. oh, Dave, remember yeah. that? They were kind of souvenirs. Yeah. Yeah. And she came back, and don't forget this, with with kind of Four Seasons Greatest Hits done by a French group. Fantastic. <laughs> wow. So it's called Good. Les Chats Sauvages. <laughs> Hello. And we had nothing to play it on. Was Rekki Serik involved? And nothing to play it on. So. We managed to winkle out my grandparents. They had an ancient wind-up gramophone. Mm. Oh, my God, yeah. So we used to, we used to put a, a contemporary 7-inch <laughs> 45 mm. on, you know, on this, on this yeah. wind-up gramophone. But, but, and it made some kind of noise. The, but the weight of the heads yeah. of those things yes. mean that a little spiral of shellac would just peel off. You don't even have to play it once, and it would just thud. It would go straight through the record. Yeah. And did it have a 45 RPM setting? Uh, that's a very... I, I don't know. Just we probably played it at 33, actually. <laughs> now I think about it. Played at 16. Do you remember the, yeah, 16, didn't 16, they? 16, used to yeah. go at 16. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I didn't grow up surrounded by records. We literally no. had none at all. What about you, Matt? Um, my parents had a Beatles collection, which only went up to Revolver, because after that it got a bit weird. Oh, really? Well, but they had all of them? Yeah. Up to Revolver. That's good. Yeah. That's good um, work. Neil Diamond... Bread, very yeah. much into that kind of uh, softer end of California. Your parents sound very cool to me, Matt. Well, yeah. They didn't take cool. much to be Up cool to the point where you said bread, So you also were slightly more, uh, probably more the cassette generation, were they? Uh, no? No, no, big, big on vinyl, but then... See, my dad was a tradder before he was before the Beatles came along. Trad jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. But they call it tradders. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tradder. He made out of a straw hat. A trader. Yeah, I thought it was some sort of profession. Weird, yeah. you, the gigs that he went to were things like Sister Rosetta Tharp. Oh, um, right. Well, yes, uh, yes. At the Manchester Tree, Free Trade Hall. You just well, think, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Was he, he not? He saw Ella Fitzgerald at the Free Trade <laughs> Hall, and they, they were in the balcony because they could only afford the cheap seats, and there was nobody in the, in the stalls. So they had to close the balcony. They'd move, to move them downstairs. Right. They can pay extra. Yeah, yeah. Now they could do it for free. <laughs> they could come down. Was uh, was was your dad feeling Kenny Ball and his jazz men? Uh, no, 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 no. But he, he went to the source. Benny really? <laughs> <laughs> Straight to the top. <laughs> so you know, there's a very moving bit in the current edition of Word magazine, which I'm going to plug. Actually, Go there was an interview with Ringo Starr who talked about mm. radiograms. It's really sweet. He's, uh, Ringo from a, a far more impoverished background than even his uh, three fellow bandmates outside life. It, yeah. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, and he talks about it's really it's rather affecting. He talks about listen to the radiogram. They didn't have a television, and uh, what he used to do is watch the fire. He'd sit, this oh, yeah. only child, mm. you know, with only a mum, in fact, and no father, just the two of them in this house. He'd sit and watch the fire. He'd describe some of this, all this drama going on in the coals mm. while he listened to his records by Elvis Presley or whoever it was when he was about 30. And I thought it was rather rather touching, actually. But come mm. on, the, now, you know, you're, you're a man stage. Now, you know. Uh, you're going to tell I, me that Ringo outline, made that up, Dave? Is that what you're saying? Outline for me your ideal evening at home. Oh, I see. Mm. Well, right yeah, and speaking as a major enthusiast of the crackling log fire, <laughs> uh, beh beh beside which, incidentally, I have a, a reconstituted vinyl uh, contraption with a huge, great tube amp. 
and I sit there and I'm playing my old uh, Flying Burrito Brothers records. <laughs> You're not and, sitting there uh, thinking, well, if I only had 150 channels on the TV. No, you? no, you I'm know, quite, you know. I'm perfectly honest, I'm quite happy yeah. listening to um, the Grateful Dead's second uh, live album. Mm. I must just mention, while we're talking about the older generation and uh, the older generation, <laughs> there is no older generation. Yeah. Um, hey and man, we're just one big generation. Like, <laughs> brothers it's just sister. all love. Right? Yeah, we're trying to the only person, peace and, The only person know, in our food. family had... <laughs> Any pretension to understanding of popular music was my Uncle Stan. Mm. And Uncle Stan was a bit sharp. That's good Uncle name. Stan wore Uncle Stan. cardigans and kind of looked like Des O'Connor. Did he? Okay. Was he, he, did he have a pipe? He, no, he smoked cigarettes <laughs> like they all did. <laughs> and he probably used... Did you like real... Walker from Dad's Army? It's the image I've oh, got. Yeah. No, well, he's, uh, we're talking about the, the early 60s, I suppose. Right. And he, he sported the brill cream and so forth. And he was unfortunate. He used to come to our house at Christmas, and he was unfortunate enough to come, to Chris, uh, come at Christmas, the year that we got with the Beatles oh. on Christmas. And Beatlemania was in full cry, you know. And he said, I'll come back a year from now and you'll have forgotten about <laughs> Now, if only... So he couldn't come back a year later. He, he, he came back a year later and took it. Shooing, he would have gone. <laughs> he, came, he came back a year after and he took it again. Yeah. You know, as they say in that Catherine Tate you know, sketch, you know, yeah. take the shame. Yeah. You know? yeah. He did. Yeah. He came back year after year through the 60s, mm. you know, Revolver, well, Sergeant Pepper Still here, Uncle Stan. You know, still here. If only he picked Jerry and the Pacemakers. Yeah, or yeah, Billy no, J. Exactly. Kramer and no, the Dakotas. If Uncle Stan yeah. had kept going right through to the early 1970s, yeah. suddenly he would have started to pick up a bit of momentum. Yes. In 1972, Christmas 72, he's going, oh, where are the Beatles now, eh? Yes. <laughs> I think you'd get a lot of respect. For a yeah. longer career than Frank Sinatra, probably. Yeah, the time so they, the yeah, Uncle Stan. The Word. Rob's been doing a very good uh, series in, in, in Word. Called Prisoners of Rock. Prisoners of Rock. It's terrific. Uh, explain about Prisoners of Rock. Right? Prisoners of Rock. Uh, Prisoners of Rock is a feature that um, concentrates on people who have given their lives to music because they haven't really had any choice because that's what they wanted to do to the to the exclusion of almost everything else of family and friends and any other sort of ideas of any kind of career. And not 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 artists as such because they're all prisoners of rock, right? But uh, people on the sidelines and people, you know, writers and DJs and in people like people in the margins who make it such a wonderful culture. So you've done you've done Colin who does the Colin Larkin, uh, the marvelous Colin Larkin, rock. yeah. Uh, who else have you done? I, I, Steve Lamax. Steve Lamax. Absolutely. No, I have Steve Lamax. Lamax. And in the current issue, yeah. in the current issue, you've got. I have to confess, I've never heard of this guy. Before. The mighty Derek. Yeah. DJ Derek. Yeah. Dezza. Who is sixty-five years old. Yep. Uh, and explain to us about DJ He's Derek. The DJ as as the venerated vinyl spinner. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Derek's a marvelous chap. He comes from Bristol. Uh, he uh, was started out in um, skiffle bands. And uh, as he tells me, he once they, his band um, won a skiffle competition in uh, 1962, and he played Ringo Starr's drum kit in it. And the competition was uh, overseen by Jim Dale's dad. Uh, so, that puts, <laughs> so that kind of gives you that places Derek for you. <laughs> but Derek sort of uh, Derek kind of fell out with the pop music because he thought it was just as he describes it as just sort of white boys screaming, um, which is a fairly decent. <laughs> but basically, what my dad would have said. So but, uh, strap line for a magazine. voice screaming. That's quite an attractive idea. But anyway, so, um, and he got it, living in Bristol, he was uh, part and parcel of the waves of immigration that came into Bristol in the 50s and 60s. And uh, very much got into sort of ska and reggae and soul. He was a big fan of uh, of soul and and um, sort of American jazz and R&B and stuff anyway. And then got very much into the sort of soul and 
reggae and ska scene through uh, the sort of West Indian immigrants that came in during the 50s and 60s and settled in his sort of St Paul's neighbourhood. And he basically started out DJing in clubs and pubs, one of which was owned by Tony Bullimore. Uh, I'm missing a finger and my boat's collapsed. Oh, God! Um, <laughs> and that's him. Uh, the Western Star Domino Club. The Western Star really, Domino yeah. Club, yeah, indeed, indeed. And, um, you know, went through, he was an accountant, worked for Cadbury's for years, but um, had a couple of marriages, neither of which um, I think he wouldn't mind me saying brought him a great deal of pleasure. And uh, but what, what he did like playing was uh, sorry, love. Uh, what <laughs> sorry, he did like, sorry, 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 sweetheart. sorry, love too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry to you, love as well. Uh, anyway, never mind. There we go. And DJ um, Derek, your dinner's on the table. <laughs> never <laughs> mind. That's Laura Aiken and Scatlights. Lana Judah for the seventeenth time. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a new Lynn Hope album. We don't know now. And uh, so, and so he, so he carried on DJ and just DJ and. Basically, his, he sort of got picked up by uh, picked up by the father. It's a horrible part of a joke. Um, he got sort of picked up. He got, a film was made about him in the mid nineteen nineties by BBC oh, yeah, Two, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was you know he was this crazy white so, guy. So he now has a kind of toff following, doesn't he? He well, Cause... he plays at the Nottingham Hill Arts Club uh, quite regularly, and I went to see him at the Nottingham Hill Arts Club, and he had, I mean, it was proper screaming teen totty. Terrors. Trustafarian so, Team Totty Terrors. Trustafarian Team Totty Terrors, yeah. So there's this yeah. guy who's like. Derek! really. I promise you, there were teenage girls, the like, of which, the like of which you haven't seen for a long time, going, Derek, Derek, is that you? They <laughs> <laughs> really were. And he's like, boy, <laughs> <laughs> like that, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So the, here's a guy who looks like, uh, what's that character called from Last of the Summer Wine? Is it Foggy Dewhurst? Pretty much all of them. Looks like yeah. every character yeah. in Last of the Summer Wine. Except he's yeah. very terrific. Psychedelic. You know, he looks very good. Psychedelic yeah. liberties where... Uh, being high-fived by Gaz Mail, which yeah. is, uh, you know... Yeah. Excellent stuff. So, uh, we, but we find, don't we, research tells us that he's not the only superannuated white man who, who no. can, uh, you know, hold a room <laughs> by his ability to play reggae records, can't we? Because I've never seen him myself, but I've come across him through the magic of YouTube. Mm. And that is Mr. David Roddicker. Oh, yeah, you sent that yeah, to yeah. me. It's absolutely Which, fantastic. If anybody yeah. listening hasn't seen that, what, what, what would you keep I'd put YouTube? it on. I'll just look up David Roddigan under mm. on YouTube, but I'll put links on the, on the, on the site That's where we post stuff. this podcast. Now, David Roddigan, I've heard on the radio, mm. you know, playing reggae records... And he's obviously, he's obviously a white guy, you can yeah, tell yeah. by his voice. Yeah. But it's only when you see him, you realise just how white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. He, 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 he's I, sort of geography teacher white, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Deputy headmaster. Deputy yeah. headmaster yeah. white. Yeah. And, and now, Matt, have you actually seen him? Yeah. Go on, yeah. what does it I mean, Because he can... Well, whole room's full of Afro-Caribbean people. When I saw wrapped. him, he was sporting a very fine turban. Oh, oh to, he got a bit self-conscious about no, the... No, no, that's part of his shtick. He does the whole kind of selector on stage, you know, play, play a kind of a dub plate or a special with his name mentioned. Just, 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 just remind me, just a question for clarification. Just remind me, where does the turban fit into the iconography <laughs> of um, this oh, kind of music? There's a lot, lot of turbans in pop, actually. Yeah. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Obviously, they're members of the Beach Boys. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, the lead singer of uh, actually, the, uh, the Fabulous Thunderbirds. The there are millions of... Yeah. The aforementioned Lynn Hope was... Yeah. Uh, 
R&B sensation. And that buffoon B.A. Robertson, I think, uh, mm. once appeared on top of the podcast. But we, we, we digress, Dave, surely. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, where's the term and fit into the, the shtick that our man Rodigan is putting into the shtick of putting on a show and oh, saying, okay. as a sound crash. Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, so he stands in front of a crowd, you know, a, you know, rammed dancehall, doesn't he? Yeah. Surrounded by kind of roadies and crew yeah. posse behind yeah. him, yeah? Who are not white. He's the only yeah. white man in the yeah. room, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Deep. Yeah. And, and he plays, you know, very yeah. loud, <laughs> yeah. you know, dancehall records. Yeah. yeah. And he sort of toasts over the top yeah. of them. He's very good. In yeah. faux patois, if we but, use well, that expression. But guess away with it. That's an interesting point. Because is it faux patois? Well, I mean, patois is uh, a, a, a way of, is, is a partic- it's like a dialect, isn't it? So yeah. it's a way of speaking, it's a, it's a learned way of speaking that says something about who you are and who you want to be and all that kind of thing. And so if someone speaks in patois, it's not really faux patois because patois by its very nature. Oh. Would, you, would you accuse, oh, Dave, would you I mean, accuse Reckless Eric of speaking in faux patois when he recorded a song called Reconne Cherie? <laughs> you see? Okay, but his entire act wasn't, didn't consist in, you know... No, it's faux patois if you, if you, you know, live in Notting Hill Gate, I think. Yeah. But no, let's forget the old point. But no, I said, no, good luck to you. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it is, yeah. I mean, I, mean uh, I keep going back to the YouTube yeah, yeah. link and looking at it. I can't take my eyes yeah. off it. No, know. I mean, it's, people like that, like Derek and David Rodigan, I mean, David Rodigan is possibly better known because he's had that show on Radio 1 for years and things like Capital. that. Capital. Capital, that's yeah, the one. And then Kiss. And then Kiss, and then the other ones. But, uh, you know, he, but these are people who, you know, they just, you only get to that position by being really good for years and years and doing and it for 30 years, years probably years and years, yeah. yeah probably yeah. have to suffer the slings and arrows yeah. over the years and I've yeah. got to say though he does get a lot of stick the, yeah. the same can be said of Westwood yeah you know if you talk to the artists both with Ronnie in t- t- in both mm. about Ronigan and about Westwood mm. they've got nothing but respect for yeah. either yeah. of both of those yeah. guys because they were both doing it when there yeah. literally was no yeah, yeah. 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 I mean people yeah. people always take the the mickey at Westwood but the fact is he's been Playing and supporting hip hop on the radio. And which would you rather he said on the radio? Would you rather he said "Drop a Bomb UK" or would you rather he said "That's quite a good record"? I've been tapping it. And here's the news. And here's the now three minutes of the news. Anybody actually, anybody who wants to um, listen to Westwood uh, doing it back in the day, Mm. there's a fantastic site called Fat Lace. Oh yeah, which has actually got now has a regular thing called Westwood Wednesdays, (laughs) where they put up old Capital Radio. Are you going to tell me he's got a completely different accent now? No, it's a little bit, it's a bit, a little bit higher, but Mm. it's not. Oh right, it's still there and it's fantastic. They also very handily include the news. That was happening. Oh, which is always clever. Do you know? I love that sort of thing. I was watching Jonathan Ross program the other night. They had uh, David Attenborough on. They had a mm. clip of Attenborough in I think 1956 or something, and actually he looked remarkably similar. Yeah, well, but does. he had a slightly posher voice. <laughs> a large lizard is walking <laughs> towards me. I think that's a, that's um, part of a bigger story. Mm. Is that everybody used to have a posher voice? Oh yeah, voice. absolutely. If you go and listen, John Peel doing oh, yeah. Perfume Garden or whatever, 1966, yeah, yeah. Oh, 70s, 67, You hear those types. He sounds like what he was, which is public school. Well, mm. even before that, he's far posher because the, there are tapes of him in 1960, I suppose, 66, when he was in uh, America doing the John and Paul show, uh, trading on his association with the Beatles, who he'd never <laughs> met brilliantly. <laughs> and it's really posh. And he sort of goes, mm. here's another platter from Howling Wolf. You know, it's all like that. <laughs> rather. A rather marvellous blues yeah. uh, aficionado yeah. like me. You know, it's just, you can't believe it. So everything has got less posh, hasn't it? Yeah. Sports yeah. commentators, newscasters. Totally, well, yeah. I'm talking of newscasters. Can we just get our own back for the appalling fuss that there has been about the reborn news at 10? 
I mean, for God's sake, they're reading the news. I know. You know? What, instead of sitting on the edge of a glass-topped table? Trying to get us excited about you oh, know, they're yeah. choosing slightly different titles and yeah. the bongs and so but forth. But it's, it's sort of, hasn't it, has it not been uh, taking a bit of a kicking in the ratings already then? I think it's had a tough time. Yeah. I mean, now Channel 5 are trying to get us excited about the fact that <laughs> N- Natasha Kaplinsky is going to be the person reading Autocue. Not so on, on Channel 5. A kicking yeah. from the word podcast could spell a final <laughs> nail in the coffin for this. For Kaplinsky. The house of cards. <laughs> Michael Gray. Bye-bye, Natasha. Yeah, bye be, bye. be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> the Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Mark, you wanted to talk... You were uh, talking about codgers at the wheels of steel. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're, no, talking about, we're talking about codgers in well, bands. No, I, had a thought, I had a thought the other day. I, I don't know if anybody listening has got anything to add to it, but I, I, had, I, I always felt that rock music mm. was extraordinarily um, unfriendly towards... Uh, the older generation. But now you so, are the older generation. Let's, thank you, Dave. We'll get on to that later. Yes. I'd rather give them that away by talking about my love of radio. No, <laughs> <laughs> going back on that one. Can we edit that out? No. Um, no uh, you know, rock music was, was designed to be young person's music, mm. wasn't it? And therefore, the idea that the Rolling Stones would ever be over 30 and still playing rock music was absolutely ridiculous. But various other idioms, like particularly folk music, Rob and I go every year to see uh, the folk uh, Radio 2 Folk Awards. And you look at groups like Wap Weasel or Bellowhead, or yeah. and there's nearly <laughs> always made those. no Wap Weasel, the real Dave. Yeah. Oh, there's about there's always about fifteen of them, mm. and there's always some geezer, or some more than one geezer actually, or some old girl who's probably in their sixties or seventies. You know, they're yeah. there, they look like Michael Evis or whatever, and they're on stage banging away at a boron or a, some yeah. percussion instrument. And there's some guy looking a bit punky in front who's got a mandolin or whatever. But the point is that they're quite happy to have these kind of multi generational setups, exactly mm. the same in country music, yeah. and obviously yeah. the same in blues, and so. Yeah. Jazz. In fact, even more so in jazz, because the older you are, yeah. the more respected you are for you know the technique you may and Tilly Lip Coast. But uh, it always struck me that rock music couldn't do that. You know, no. that if you went to see a group in uh, you know 1970s, 1980s, who had a, a, an officially old member, you would have thought that they were they'd have to be some sort of comedy item like Thunderclap Newman or something to excuse it. But I went to see this group the other night, a terrific chap called Sterling Roswell and his trio, Sterling Roswell. Trio playing, yeah, they're sort of uh, tone tapping a rockabilly sky oh, hits from the fifties idiom. You know, they mess a trick by not calling themselves the Sterling Roswell incident. No, that would have oh, been good. You actually had a word with them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But well, the, the pub in point in, of order. Yes, <laughs> point of order. You rather, I think you'll find that name would have been markedly improved. I'll have a word with it. But they were playing in the World's End pub in Camden. And on they come, and the drummer's sort of, I don't know, 30s or something, and Roswell himself is probably about 30, and there's a bass, string bass player with a, with a sort of rockabilly quiff who looks like Mark, Mark Lamar, who must be in his late 20s. But on guitar, Dave, and this will be a, a name you remember from the past, from Graham <laughs> Parker's Mighty Rumour, was Martin Belmont. Go back before Who was actually Graham only Parker. 60, but he, he actually looks a little bit older. He looks like David Gilmore's older brother, Professorial mem- Specs. Member of Ducks Deluxe. Ducks Deluxe, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and I just looked at him and I thought, you know, it, it felt all right to me. Do you know, I, I know that sounds like a rather sort of shallow observation, <laughs> but I've never seen that combination of ages in a rock band mm. without feeling before that it's out of place. And I think the reason for it is that, is that young people's music, if you like, that has now been colonised by things, new things, hip hop, 
for example, yeah. and dance music. Now, the oldest hip hop player must, the uh, hip hop performer must be, I don't know, Chuck D. Chuck D. Or, How old's Chuck? Or, yeah, you know, tell me about that. Doc, know, Doc, know, MC Red. Is he still alive? Yeah, they're, people, but they're a bit on the revival circuit. Yeah, right. but people are, I mean, sort of mid forties. Yeah. Members mid of late forties. MC Red. Yeah, Maybe about forty. Is, is he dead? He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, yeah right. You know, Doctor Dre. But you know, but you know, they couldn't possibly come on stage now, age forty-six, and. Do straight out of Compton or whatever because it just it wouldn't work really, and, uh, oh, I, and I think it's, uh, well we should you see. see should we? Thing, you would have said the same thing about Mick Jagger and Brown Sugar. Yeah, you could possibly come on at fifty and do uh, Brown Sugar. Can, well, no, do I? Sixty six. Yeah, and no yeah. sign of stopping. Yeah. Um, I think it can because I think I'm those not songs sure actually I agree carry with that because those songs are specifically about being twenty-two. Yeah, being but they're so carrying a gun and sort of hanging around in Compton and avoiding the law. And you know, if you're oh, forty, right, forty-six, okay. I mean, Mick Jagger's things were general things well, about no satisfaction. Yeah, satisfaction is about a young man's frustration. Somebody, you know, Knight of the Realm. You know, we're all prepared yeah. to kind of suspend. He still has the same level of libido, so I think it comes from the heart. I can see that from the trousers. Even the stretch fabric. <laughs> that's why he has the stretch fabric. Particularly stretchy fabric I, in those I, ones. I was well, listening to the Rolling Stones B-side not long ago. I, I treasure the Rolling Stones B-sides from the mid-60s. Uh, and there's, there are all these songs about being on tour, like the under-assistant West Coast promotion mm. man and so forth. Uh, and a song there called, uh, oh God, uh, Spider and the Fly, which is about picking up a woman, not a girl, mm. in oh. a hotel bar. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and it's got the line in it, which he doesn't sing anymore. Uh, it's got the line in it she was common flirty she looked about 30 <laughs> <laughs> the idea was that, can you imagine that she looked about 30 do, do women yeah. age 30 still have sex well, like Elsie <laughs> Tanner or something <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, if he looked about 30 he'd never sang the same song now people would think he was chasing you know he was, he was cradle snatching yeah. but I was when you were talking to me about this I was I was uh, reminded of the there is a tradition of having kind of uh, you know, special special featured codgers in mm. bands yeah. It? Oh, go on. Well, but am I not right in saying that the Jefferson, uh, Jefferson's Airship or whatever, Papa John Creech, mm. oh, yeah, who was did, yeah. a kind of venerable Black fiddler? Oh, okay. So, like Saxa and, uh, Saxa and, the and beat. Uh, yeah. Sugarcane Harris. So Black all three of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You see, there's three of them, and all yeah. three of them are very, very cool black guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Andy Thundercap Newman. Thundercap Newman. Yeah. Newman he, right, he was, was a post office engineer. Was a post office engineer in a cardigan. <laughs> yeah. Which is not quite the same, is Nobody it? Nobody ever knew how old Jet Black was in the Stranglers. No, no. still don't. Do you know, weirdly, we were talking Went about to Richard Thompson. And we Googled Jet, Jet Black. Why were we doing this? Uh, because we were talking about... about we're oh, working on some yeah, piece yeah. anyway. And uh, do you know how old Jet Black is? I'll tell you. Go on. Well, he, he's about to celebrate in about 20 minutes' time his 70th birthday. No! <laughs> he was born yeah. in 1938. Yeah. No! Yeah. August 30th. 70-year-old strangler. 70-year-old yeah. strangler. The first 70-year-old punk. Yeah. Literally older so than Ringo Starr. So Blackford was in his early literally, 40s. When, Char- no, surely the guy from... Charlie Harper from UK. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he? Harper's got a telegram from McQueen. And what was... Just a brief pause. What was... <laughs> Steam can, everybody remember? can everybody remember Charlie Harper's job? 
Oh God, oh. was he a great digger? Now was he? No, no uh, better. Dole office. For something he was going to bring about the you know dis- destruction Christian of bourgeois society, society as we knew it. Train policeman. He was he was at the lady's hairdresser. <laughs> oh, oh my God! He God. was a lady's hairdresser. He worked in curl up and die <laughs> <laughs> by day, but get, by night. Get a head. Rock superstar. Punk rock superstar. Cut him off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So yeah, but is he worried me now? Because hair today. Am I now turning into my father? Uh, maybe I am because see, I was trying I to imagine you, I think you turned your father quite a long time okay. <laughs> alright I've bought a radiogram crackling long time <laughs> no but you see I look at the klaxons for example mm. I try to imagine the klaxons in 30 years time reforming and playing Golden Scans which is a song mm. specifically designed for kind of slacker university students mm. who want to find out about Atlantis or whatever mm. and there they are doing this thing about this kind of utopian idyll with uh, ruins uh, what is it runes and yeah, yeah. ancient disciples yeah. and the young lots of stuff. and you think that is solely the preserve of a university and I suppose people were going back to it in the yeah, but look, if, yeah, but if, if the, the Beach Boys if Brian Wilson or whatever goes on yeah. stage nowadays he probably still plays fun 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 yeah, I, mean, I get, get to rap yeah I mean how many <laughs> people that's rich is it remember the walking stick and he's going to I'm wheeled around I'm wheeled around I'm pushed around but you know but you could say that Brian Wilson stuff that when they were how many millions of people who brought their records have never Stood or on a surfboard, or even seen someone surfing. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's Ryan Wilson had never surfed. Ryan right. Wilson never surfed. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think those things are, they just they create their own environment and their own life around themselves. So it start off, you know, like satisfaction. If you did gone back forty years, you know, it would be ridiculous to imagine. You know, Mick Jagger nearing his seventieth birthday, still singing Satisfaction. We've really gone. Don't be ridiculous. It can never happen. And I think it's the same thing just happens with that. They just develop their own momentum, don't they? And that's becomes part. Yeah, of I suppose. What so. I, mean, I suppose I think some of those to. songs are slightly more <clears throat> general, and they're about an emotional state which you can still key into at any stage. And Jackson <laughs> songs are specifically about this kind of little student life lit by a bare light bulb with a load of skins in the corner, and you know what I mean? Several cans of Rockstar. You know, <laughs> <laughs> mango Brought flavor. to you by Rockstar. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You're probably absolutely right yeah so I, I admit defeat we've got to we've got to plug the uh, the Facebook site Facebook group Matt the, the word mon- <laughs> word magazine <laughs> that's easy for you to say it's cats <laughs> uh, I'm trying these teeth out for a friend <laughs> red rock uh, go, on, go, on, go on to Facebook and look under the word podcast people have been reporting back about uh, how they listen to the podcast yeah mm. silver mute I do wish you wouldn't adopt silly fictional names please could you Call yourself by full name, please. Come Mr. Forward. Silvermute. Don't be shy. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald <laughs> Silvermute. <laughs> 23 Acacia Gardens. He said, he said, since I've got my new iPod classic, <laughs> I've taken to streaming the podcast to my precariously balanced on the loo laptop wow. whilst Jeez. reclining in the bath. Now try and picture this. That's too much information. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mr. Okay. Silvermute. I took my tip. Might be, might be a woman. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Silvermute. Uh, whilst reclining <laughs> Sylvia the Silvermute. Which is very nice he, she says, in a decadent laudanum and gentleman's club sort of way. Nice, that is, until one is so convulsed with laughter. Hello. Oh, good. That the ashtray goes in the water. <laughs> oh, the gasper in the bath. Smoking in the bath. This is a word reader. One ends up, people. One oh, ends up wallowing in, in a bar. dilute solution of eau de tab. Imagine going to the bathroom. You've got laptop, iPod, 
There's at least Keith Richards marketed over town. People yeah. buy it. There's they? at least five or six different health and safety. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah, no, no. yeah well, I won't give I'll away. Don't even think about yeah. it. Or else yeah. the snack squad will be around. Yeah. There. <laughs> I mean, if he's got that amount of stuff dedicated to his own personal, you know, um, comfort and so forth, there must be an alcoholic drink there as well. You'd have so, thought a pink gin, maybe <laughs> Negroni. So you know, Negroni. <laughs> Just go on Facebook, look under Word Magazine Podcast and join the group. Join the gathering throng. Mm. We want to have a thousand, don't we, man? Yeah. We want to have a thousand friends. We've got nearly 700, haven't we? Really? Yeah. So we, you know, we, we, I've cancelled my uh, face, uh, Facebook oh, account. I've, I've erased Face, it. Facebook, you know, <laughs> topples to its knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, look at that. That's yeah, good idea. Yeah, Sell that's Facebook it. shares right now. The Word. So listen, at this point in the podcast, it's it's traditional that we have uh, an H-O-R-E, a hoary old rock anecdote. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, our, um, our, spe- our special anecdote <laughs> <laughs> from the depths of his anecdotage. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Matt Hall. Here we go. Hey. Hey. Well, this came about, I remembered this because we were discussing... Um, fully paid for um, record company trips to gigs mm. and Rob you were talking about uh, going down to uh, to Hastings to Hastings those people who think it's all glamour yeah. Hastings the fields of the Nephilim sorry I'm going to interrupt now Mark Helen is just going to tell you briefly where he went <laughs> and which rock band he went with on his first trip uh, was it Earthquake? No. <laughs> tell me again. Remind me. I'm going I'm to do it Go for on. you. Who was it? He went to the Isle of Man oh, with, yeah. with Nazareth. Oh, with Nazareth. <laughs> I did. Okay. Oh, yeah, I did. And it was brilliant because, in fact, can I just say, we went down the street in, the, in, in whatever, the, the Douglas, is it? The capital yeah, yeah, city yeah. of the Isle of Man, the yeah. presidential, yeah. And all I remember is it was exactly like Stella Street. In the, at that stage, it was a tax haven, obviously from the, uh, the rather more expensive mainland. And when you went down the street to see Manny Charlton of Nazareth, who lived at number 27, literally, number 25 would open, uh, open the door would open, the guy would come out to get a, a, a pint of milk. It's only Rick Parfitt from Salem. Seriously! And next time you'd have a look, and it'd be, you know, Tom Robinson or something. You'd think this is absolutely... Bert Shelley from Budgie. Bert Shelley from Budgie. The entire street was made up of tax-dodging rock stars. Anyway, anyway yes. wait, 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 yeah. Back to Matt's story, sorry. Record companies obviously had a thing about sending people to the South Coast for kind of the glamour or whatever, because I, I can remember before I started working at Radio 1, but when I was still worked at, at the BBC, um, the Manic Street Preachers had just signed to Columbia Records, um, and I was kind of very excited about uh, the Manic Street Preachers, and so the guy from Columbia said, you can come on the Radio 1 bus that we're running down to the Zap Club in Brighton to see them, so to introduce... The Manic Street Preachers to Radio One, and at this point, Radio One hadn't quite made the uh, transition to the swinging, youthful uh, go-ahead station. Yeah, it's a bit creaky. Uh, it's still a bit creaky, and um, a lot we got of people m- still myself, talk like that. <laughs> myself and my friend got <laughs> my, my, my mate Mark. Like the Manic Street Preachers are barely really happening. I don't know what they're on about. But it's all the rage. It's a really buzz about it anyway. Myself and my mate Mark got on the bus to find ourselves surrounded by nobody, uh, by a lot of um, of uh, Radio One um, program assistants who were all women of a certain age, uh, and um, and Adrian Just, (laughs) Just Heath, oh yeah, yeah. the man who let let us in case we. Uh, for those who don't remember Adrian's particular speciality it was playing comedy records and then fading them down when the punchline come in 
Kate was just about to come in and saying the punchline <laughs> himself. Yeah. And fading it That's back so up. true. It's a gig, isn't it? It was Someone's such a gig. He, he spotted the hole in the it's market. Job, yes. Nobody else was, went for that. But anyway, so we got down to Brighton. <laughs> and Columbia had, had very kindly paid for everyone to have, fi- have fish and chips. And me, myself and my mate Mark had fish and chips and, and then slid off, kind of noses slightly in the air, it had to be said, uh, to go and have a, have a drink before getting to the Zap Club and we got to the Zap Club and the Manics came on and there was no sign of the rest of the Radio <laughs> 1 contingent and for those who who um, have never been to the Zap Club it's uh, the, the stage at that point was right beside the front door entrance so it was on the same wall as the front door and just beside it so um, and the Manics at this point were in their uh, skinny white jeans spray painted logo lots of hair gel and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. eyeshadow very punky, Motown junk, you yeah. love us, uh, repeat after me, fuck Queen and Country, all that kind of like yeah. real, you know, angry, angry sound of the, of, of Blackwood. Um, and um, about halfway through the second or third gig, the second or third song, the door to the venue <laughs> flew open, and in came the, just ra- in came the radio one contingent <laughs> doing a conga. I I I I moose. I I I I moose. Led, oh, led by Justy. Yes! Oh, no. What was he wearing on his head? Oh, was he wearing a baseball cap with "I'm I'm with Stupid" on it? Or was it was there a baseball cap with a great big arm? Was he holding a was kind he of mallet? Like an axe? So yes. Clubbing himself. As he Did he have an arrow either side? <laughs> it, it was Brighton. It was Brighton. Uh, oh my God! Uh, a fish. Should have kissed me slow hat. I'm not far off. Thank you. I was wearing a little plastic black bowler with Kiss Me Quick. Oh my God, that's That's appalling. Um, (laughs) And probably a tank top, and probably still a pair of Lionel players, even though it was late 70s. A little bit of a belt. Big pair of bins. Big pair of bins. Pair of bins bins with little tiny windscreen wipers on the front of them. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you feel, though, slightly nostalgic for the days when Radio 1 had a kind of corny flank? Yeah, no, it would be good. You know what I mean? Because the strange thing is, yeah. here's my theory. Yeah. You know, DLT and Simon Batesy and Bates. Gary Davis and all these people are casting the outer darkness mm. to go and, you know, do, you know, radio that's played in chemists or, yeah. you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah. Whatever kind of Alan Partridge, yeah. you know, netherworld yeah. they yeah. occupy. Yeah. But here's the thing. They're more famous mm. than most of the people who are on Radio One now. Oh, yeah, much more. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Only, only, only this morning, for some reason, we, we have a piece in, in work called Ninety Nine Percent True, the Inside Back uh, page, which John Norton writes. Very, very funny. And his theme this month is uh, a load of facts about uh, DJs. Mm. <clears throat> and I'm trying to twist his arm to get one of my favourite facts in there, but quite rightly, it doesn't really work in this context. But it, it really sums up what you're talking about, Dave. There was an incident, in, I think, 1974, which John Peel used to tell because he was involved in it, <clears throat> which is about. Um, a concert given by the Bay City Rollers on an island. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. remember this? Yeah, radio they put, One Fun Day. <coughs> it was a Radio One Alton Fun Day. Alton Alton. Alton. Yeah. They're on an island. And they thought this would, you know, be quite amusing thing to stop the uh, overexcited Rollers fans from, you know, like invading the stage or whatever. But the Rollers fans obviously were built with stern stuff. And uh, most of them just uh, stripped off to their probably Marks and Spencer's underpants, mm. uh, Paxo approved, uh, stepped into the briny <laughs> and started to, you know, to claw their way across, yeah. the, across the water. Down. And at which point Radio 1 health and safety people stepped in and said they were genuinely worried for the security of the DJs who were in fact uh, Tony Blackburn and John Peel weren't they 
And these people were put into a speedboat and rushed off the island, again, for their own safety. And Peel just remembered this surreal moment of seeing these t- the tartan hordes <laughs> <laughs> swimming across the lake. Tartan-trimmed hordes. Tartan-trimmed hordes. <laughs> yeah, probably rather weighed down by these colossal trousers. They've got with huge turn-ups, quite a bit of drag on the yeah, turn-ups. Yeah. <laughs> and these clomping great platforms, right? So they're treading their way towards the island. You know, As Peel makes good his escape in a, in a, with, with Blackburn in a giant speedboat, Driven by a womble. <laughs> now, that's the key. That's the key thing. A man yeah. who wombles you is <laughs> the wheel of his fucking speedboat. Imagine if that was Batty. <laughs> <laughs> was like Batty Bat himself. And he's, in a way, I agree with you, Dave, because now yeah. it's all terribly uh, right on. It's rather right serious, yeah. you know. And, um, I mean, much better. Yeah, we're looking at big issues. In, big issues in the paper that affect youth today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Morrissey yeah. is your racist. We could yeah. be out there in a bloody speedboat and driving my womble. Yeah, having yeah. a bit yeah. of a Steffi Graf. Yeah. So, uh, get, get, ring our action line and we'll send you the info. Pack. Send you the info. Pack. If you've been affected by any of these topics <laughs> yeah. on this podcast, yeah. Yeah. people were affected by topics like that. They literally pissed yeah. themselves laughing. <laughs> yeah. It raised yeah. the sum of human happiness. It is, yeah. End of. Yeah. I know exactly. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. These days, having versatile clothing you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes all sorts of versatile any-weather staples, hoodies, jackets, and more. Whether you're buying a gift or stocking your closet, you'll find just what you need. And it's all made right here in the USA. Find your new wardrobe staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your order when you use code ANYSTYLE24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code ANYSTYLE24. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.